From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shett, budget and appropriations reporter. And it is crunch time for a COVID-19 relief package. So we're going to talk about what we know of the latest in the negotiations on a coronavirus aid deal. It seems to be moving along very slowly, slower than they want. But my sense is there's a deal in the air. So, Jen, let's dissect a little what we know about it. Um, The greatest hope for a deal does seem to come from this new bipartisan group uh, of both senators and House members who have been working over the past week or so pretty doggedly on their own relief plan that's meant to be a middle ground between what the Democrats were pushing of over $2 trillion and and what Senate Republicans wanted of only a half a half a trillion dollars. This, this, this is $908 billion. It seems to be the middle ground. It seems to be gaining steam. It's looking fairly promising, would you say? I'm always a bit more pessimistic than you are on these big sweeping relief packages, but it does seem like Republicans and Democrats and the these sort of rank and file lawmakers in this bipartisan group do really want Congress to do some type of package before they leave for the winter holiday break. Um, This package would include some money to help small businesses, um, money for additional unemployment benefits, and funding for state and local governments. Um, So those are three areas that everyone sort of agrees need help and need help now. But there are some provisions that aren't in this package, mainly direct payments to individual Americans, which is something we've heard from some lawmakers that they really want to see in this package. But it doesn't seem like that can happen from a sort of top line spending standpoint. Yeah, of course, President Trump has been big on wanting these tax rebate checks. He's he's all long pushed for them. Um, but I know the Senate number two Senate Democrat. Richard Durbin over the weekend said doing these tax rebate checks would cost another $300 billion and there just wasn't room in this package to do it because that would really inflate the size of this thing and then they would lose support from Republicans, he said. So they don't think they can get that in here. Um, there was Josh Hawley, the senator from Missouri, did Republican, did try to urge Trump to uh, veto this package if it doesn't have these rebate checks in it. But my sense is he's sort of a, that might be a lone man crusade right now. And there's not that much support for trying to now redo this whole package to accommodate rebate checks. Yeah. And one of the things that a lot of lawmakers, Democrats and Republicans on the Hill are saying right now is that you know, this is just going to be the December package, right? This isn't going to be the last sweeping coronavirus relief proposal that Congress passes during this pandemic. We've heard from Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and President-elect Joe Biden that they all expect a pretty substantial COVID relief package next year after Biden is sworn into office on January 20th. And so one of the things that's going to give everyone a lot of kind of, you know, cover for this December aid package is to say, 
this is just what we're doing right now. There could be a new package as soon as a month, a month and a half away. Um, you know, that might include direct payments to individuals and that might include some more provisions that people want to see in this package, but that there just isn't time at this point to negotiate into the, this December aid package. That's a good point because this this bipartisan group has been very careful all along to describe their own plan as an interim short-term measure. It's only supposed to last through the end of March. Um, so it's just meant to be a bridge into the new administration. And then they're, they're bound to be dealing with another package, as you say. But even to get this package uh, over the finish line, Jen, it's it's taking a little longer than they wanted. They had hoped for legislation to come by now. It's not. We may see a little more today, Tuesday, but there's been a big hang-up over whether and how to provide liability protection for employers from any pandemic-related lawsuits. And this seems to have lawmakers still tied up in knots. Yeah, so when this bipartisan group released the sort of outlines of their bipartisan proposal last week, we didn't actually see legislative text at that point in time. We got kind of these, you know, big picture spending levels and a sort of feel-good moment that Republicans and Democrats might actually be able to work together on legislation in the middle of an economic crisis and a global pandemic. But one of the really important things to always keep track of in these negotiations is what's written into actual text, right? What will become a law? And they didn't have that last week. And they still, uh, as of this morning, Tuesday morning, December 8th, we still haven't seen the actual bill from this group. And one of the reasons for that is that they don't have these liability protections that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has been saying for months must be included in this package. And so it sounds like right now, this bipartisan group is kind of slogging through what congressional leaders in the Trump administration have been struggling with for months, which is exactly how to word uh, this sort of lawsuit insulation uh, for universities, for hospitals, for meatpacking plants, for you know the whole range of people that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said he wants this liability protection to insulate from lawsuits. Um, and so it sounds like they're they think they're getting close right now, um, but. I have become very skeptical um, after the last few months of the ability for Republicans and Democrats to reach a consensus on this particular issue. Yeah. And what the bipartisan group said when they announced their plan initially last week as as a compromise was to have some kind of short-term moratorium against lawsuits and then give states time to work out their own responses for how to deal with any court challenges. But the devil's in the detail. And what's been clear now in recent days is there's no agreement on the detail of that. How would it work? Um, how sweeping would a moratorium be? And then what happens after the moratorium ends? <laughs> then what do you do? Uh, this has been a major hang-up uh, that cuts across ideological lines. And, and you've had folks like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce really pushing hard for this liability protection, saying businesses are going to face an avalanche of lawsuits unless you do something. And then you've got Democrats, uh, particularly Bernie Sanders the other day, 
blasted this thing and said, we can't provide liability protection. This, this amounts to what he called a get out of jail free card for employers who won't have to abide by any health standards if they know that they don't have to face any lawsuits. Yeah. And I think you're getting to kind of the central issue that Republicans and Democrats have been struggling over on liability protection for months is that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and in general, most Republicans want to make sure that, you know, university administrators, business owners, um, and those types of people are protected from, you know, what they sort of generally refer to as frivolous lawsuits. But then on the other side of the coin, you have Democrats who say, you know, hold on a second. You know, people are being expected to work in very challenging conditions, uh, potentially without personal protective equipment, especially at places like hospitals and nursing homes and medical facilities. And Democrats are saying, you know, maybe, okay, we'll go along with some language insulating, you know, the people at the top from these lawsuits, but we need to make sure that the people who are actually working in these places, you know, or students returning to university, professors, people working in meat packing plants has been a particularly big story this year. Uh, we need to make sure that they're protected, that their sort of labor rights are protected too. And so, you know, exactly where you find that line um, between those two sides has been really challenging. And I think it continues to be a tricky thing to write in legislative text. Right. And then there's still the issue of state and local aid, aid to state and local governments. This is still sort of bogging things down. Um, they think they've found the overall top line number they can live with, which is $160 billion as a short-term bridge money here for state and local governments that have been bleeding revenue from the economic shutdowns. Um, you know, that's a lot less than what Democrats, Democrats initially wanted nearly a trillion dollars for this. Republicans really didn't want much of any money for state and local governments. They said that a lot of states were poorly managed before the pandemic even hit, and they don't feel the need to bail them out. Meanwhile, it looks like $160 billion might be a sweet spot that both sides can live with in the short term, but there's still the question of what the funding formula is. And and lawmakers spent part of yesterday, I know, still trying to rehash how best this money should be distributed, because you might remember in March last year when they did state and local aid, there was a lot of complaints that smaller counties and cities were, were overlooked in how, the, in how the funding was distributed, and some of them didn't get any aid. And so there's, there's a lot of debate now on how best to do this formula. And Republicans are linking that to the liability protection because they say, look, if if we don't get this liability protection, then state and local aid may be off the table too. So those two issues are now linked in terms of trying to get a final package together. Yeah, and that just makes getting final agreement on something that can attach to some type of spending package so much more complicated, especially as the session of Congress, you know, winds down in the next week or two, we think. Right. And so there clearly is not time to pass this coronavirus aid on its own. Uh, The talk is they're going to attach it to a year-end spending deal, assuming they get one, the big omnibus package that we've been waiting for for the current fiscal year, which we should remind people began last October 1st. That's how late they are again. 
And there's still not even been time to get the omnibus deal done, which is why now uh, Congress plans on passing a one-week stopgap, the continuing resolution that the House is supposed to take up on Wednesday and the Senate soon thereafter, which gives them an extra week's time to get these final deals done. They got a lot of work to do, Jen. Yeah, this is this is something that Congress has been used to doing for sort of decades now. Uh, you know, when the fiscal year starts on October first, they do a continuing resolution until mid-December, um, and then in mid-December they kind of reassess and try to get agreement on all twelve of the annual spending bills. Um, if they can't do that, they'll do another CR into the next calendar year. Uh, them introducing a one-week CR. Today, in terms of what we expect, uh, that sort of signals that both sides think they can get to an agreement in the next week and then pass that omnibus package uh, across the House and Senate next week. Um, but there's you know, a lot of hurdles to go um, and not a whole lot, lot of time for staff and lawmakers to reach final agreement on what is going to be about $1.4 trillion in spending. And so it's a really challenging task. Um, especially this year with everything else that's going on. So we got some long days and nights ahead, and we are going to follow it closely for you. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>